Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about election, and joining me, he just put the finishing touches on his pop quiz he's going to give to his students so he can make his booty call. It's Josh Brown. Josh, what? thanks for joining me. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, I hope they never Google this, but yeah. Uh, uh, um, but yeah, uh, you don't have to say you don't have to say anything to that. I just thought it was a. I was just like, yeah. oh, that's hilarious. When I saw that a teacher did that in a movie, I had forgotten about that part of it. Uh, when I went back and watched the election. Get to that, like, because like here's the thing. I, like, I Amir talked to you about election, which I think, like, not only is it the best movie of 1999, but I think it should have won best documentary film of that. Oh. Year. That's, a t- that's a take. <laughs> yeah, but like him, we'll get to that scene later. But like, I do have an issue with that in terms of like realism. Usually, like when I'm on this show, you'll tell me we'll talk about like a legal thriller, and you'll be like, oh, okay, here's the Here's where that wouldn't happen in real life, and I'm always, like, pretty intrigued by it. And me, like, there's, you know, like, there's not that many movies about teachers. And when there are, like, obviously they're not really getting into the minutia of it or whatever. But, like, you know, that one I'm like, okay, there's some technical details here. That I- <laughs> and, and that's why we have Josh here, because he, he, he is a high school teacher. Election is, uh, in some ways, a high school movie, but it's... A lot more than that. It's as Josh mentioned, it's a 1999 movie from writer director Alexander Payne, based on the novel Election by Tom Parada, and it tells the story of a high school in Omaha, Nebraska, where there is an election going on for class president, and uh, one student, the overachieving Type A Tracy Flick, played by Reese Witherspoon, has her eyes on the prize, but uh, she is irked. Uh, teacher Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, the wrong way. One, because, uh, as you find out pretty early in the film, she got... she got his friend in trouble the year before another teacher by having an affair with him but also because he just kind of resents her for being a know-it-all overachiever student and then there's a lot going on underneath the service that might be the root of that that we'll talk about but he encourages another student to run uh, who's and it was the jock paul played by chris klein and just because he thinks a popular kid can beat her and paul ends up dating his sister's ex girlfriend and his sister gets very mad and says all right now i'm gonna get into the election to try and beat you his sister's name is tammy and it follows the course of this election over the this election over the course of a week or two and uh, everything that happens in this school as a as a result of the competition and everything that's going on in this teacher's life and i i i, I thought a cool reason because i'm trying to think of different reasons to go back and watch old movies and i thought well i have a teacher that is a recurring guest and maybe i would like to talk about a teacher movie so i asked josh hey what's a teacher movie we should talk about and your first answer was election which i mean i was super happy to talk about because i think it's a very interesting movie but it does it wasn't the first thing that came to mind. I honestly didn't even think of it on my own when I thought teacher movie. I think I think of it almost first as more of a student body movie. And then my big takeaway on this watch was actually something different. But I want to ask you first before I get into my thoughts and ramble anymore. uh, What about election makes it a teacher movie to you? Because you're obviously coming at it from a much different perspective than I am. Well, like, here's the thing. One of the reasons why I chose election, in addition to being one of the few movies about high school that's told from the perspective of a teacher. Mm-hmm. One of the other reasons why I, I chose it is because, you know, it's an election year. And so, and this movie was um, a subtle satire inspired by the 1992 election where the three 
people running for the uh, class president kind of represent uh, um, the candidates in the 92 race with, you know, the jock being uh, Bill Clinton, um, Tracy Flick being George H.W. Bush, and Tammy being Ross Perot. Uh, you know, not only is it a movie that tackles, like, high school, but it's also timely today. But the, the thing that, like, strikes me, like, here's the thing with teacher movies, right? A lot of them, a lot of your standard teacher movies are pretty, like, self-righteous and can kind of be condescending, where you have um, usually, like, an a white person going into a school of like minorities and overcoming the obstacles that they give the uh, give them and you know reforming a classroom or a school right or you have a high school movie that is you know from the perspective of teenagers and the thing with election is it, it like upon rewatching it when I became a high school teacher I really hit hard because like you know, I, I now, as an adult, like, I can really sympathize um, and also be critical of Mr. McAllister in the movie. And it also captures very, you know, well the sort of malaise of, of like, an affluent suburban uh, uh, high school. We should know? say he teaches civics and you're about to start teaching AP government. So you're pretty close to him on that. And I hope the similarities just stop there. <laughs> there. But, yeah. Like, you know, it, it, the, the, I was telling you earlier that, like, it's not only my favorite movie from the year 1999, one of the greatest years for movies ever, but I also think it should have won Best Documentary because, you know, it really does capture, you know, the low stakes, but, you know, the drama that can happen, you know, at a high school. Have you been involved in, I mean, not necessarily like being a sponsor of student government or anything, but have you been in your couple years teaching in schools, have you had much awareness of any student run elections going on? Have you gotten to witness them in person all that closely or is it kind of something you've been a little removed from? Well, so like this past year was like my first year teaching high school. Yeah. And, and so but they like, do that stuff in middle school too, a little bit. Uh, oh, in middle school. No, like it's oh, like, okay. it, it like, um, there is like a student body, like elections or whatever, but like, it's not, taken as seriously as it would be in the high school. I think it's really just for like a club or whatever. And, and it was just right. not a big deal. Um, but in this year when I was teaching high school, you know, we, on the announcements, you would see the little campaign ads the students would make. Like one of my favorite students, he was elected class president. Um, and, and also like you kind of see like how people, how it is very much a popularity contest, right? I saw um, you know, the kids react very negatively to like one girl's like campaign act and just, you know, being like, I don't really like that kid. Or and was it, was it cause it was too earnest or something? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was both the earnestness and just also their own like personal disdain of that kid. Um, uh, and so, yeah, like I what I think election captures pretty well is, you know, the balancing act of, like, you know, turning the low-stakes drop. Because, like, you know, the school that Mr. McAllister is at, it's not, like, a school from, like, uh, Dangerous Minds or Lean on Me or Stand and Deliver, where it's, you know, uh, under upheaval and, and someone needs to reform it. Like, no, it's a pretty, you know, affluent, middle-class suburban school. Right. Um, so the stakes are pretty low, but, like, Alexander Payne is so good at mining these low stakes drama 
uh, into something almost Shakespearean. Um, and, and, and also, you know, quite, quite perceptively uses high school as a larger satire of America, especially where we're at in 1999. Yeah. You said you sympathize a little bit with Mr. McAllister. There's plenty to criticize about him. So I, we will get to that, but what about that character who, I mean, the movie overall is probably not a good look for him i'd say it's fair to say <laughs> but like i mean i do think there is something there was a moment in this when i'm thinking about the, one of the images that actually it's been a few days since i watched it but i think the image that stuck with me was like them slightly changing the lesson that is drawn on the board in like this little quick montage where it cuts from one to the other but it's really the same thing over and over again and they're talking about how these teachers just teach the same thing over and over again and it, i mean it, in some ways i'm like yeah i mean like I, I, not that like I, I would say I really don't appreciate teachers. Like I'm all for it. Everyone that says they need to be paid more money and all that. But like when you kind of think about it, it you, even more, it's like wow, that can be like a really thankless job. So maybe that's where my sympathy is for him, and that's kind of about it. But like as someone that's actually in the same world as him, do you have other thoughts about like what makes him a potentially sympathetic character, at least to a little bit of an extent? Um, because you know the movie does go pretty hard on him. Um, yeah. Um, like, the thing, you know, like, I think with Mr. McAllister, when we first meet him, right, he, you know, he's a guy who has won, like, Teacher of the Year, like, several times, and it seems like he is looking out for his students, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, with, for me, like, where I come about it is just, like, how, you know, y- you go into this job with, like, the best intentions. Right. And and you're always constantly trying to, you know, empower and make students lives better. And and from the look of the movie in the beginning, like Mr. McAllister was a pretty popular, you know, uh, um, civics teacher who really did care about his students and his students like them back and stuff like that. Um, but also the other thing as like a teacher is you you, despite being the fact that you're in a position of authority, um, you're also human <laughs> and humans make mistakes. And I think like most teachers, if you sat them down and they, and you told someone that was not a teacher, like, you know, the day to day, like, you know, like experience of like every type of thing that has gone wrong in their career, you they would get questioning looks like you would judge them very harshly. Um, and maybe rightfully so, but it's one of those things where, like, you know, from teacher to teacher, it's like we all kind of been there, right? And we've all, especially when I was teaching high school and, like, making the jump from middle school, like, you know, we all probably had our Tracy flicks, like the students that, like, constantly, like, raising their hands and, 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 and you know, asking so many questions and trying to be the teacher's pet and, and how, like, if you know, if you run, rub them the wrong way, they're probably going to be the ones whose parents are going to be, are going to wreck the most hell on you. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there is like, I can understand, I, as someone who's had my share of Tracy flicks in, in my classroom and also who as a student was Tracy flick, I totally can understand, uh, uh, Mr. McAllister's frustration. You really think you were a Tracy flick? Oh, 100%. Like, in, in high school... You don't strike me as that kind of tryhard. 
But yeah, but it's been a while since either of us were in high school, so maybe we've all we both changed. I'd say I might, I maybe kind of was, but I was never like ambitious in like the way she is. I would say, even though I was a nerd. Oh well, here's the thing. I like I was an underachiever when it came to like grades and stuff, but like um, when it came to like if it was a subject I liked, like if it was English or especially social studies, right? I'd be that kid that would always raise their hand ask questions to, to, and, and questions that I had an answer to already. And I remember when I was in senior year of high school, I remember like I was, I knew the, like in AP Gov, I knew the material so well that like one day my teacher had like food poisoning. And so he had to go use the restroom and he asked me to teach the class. Like, oh, wow. I'm um, sure that did nothing to your ego at all. <laughs> yeah, like immediately when I did it, it was kind of a disaster, and I kind of realized oh, how hard it it actually is to stand up in a group of people um, to explain something. Hey, less than um, ten years later, look at you now. Yeah, but but actually, but here's the thing. All right, with Tracy Flick, right? Obviously, Mr. McAllister should not have done what he has done, and there's also some underlining reasons as to why he hates Tracy Flick, other than the fact that she's an ambitious kid. How um, and so you know. Thing is, is he he doesn't really do anything all that wrong to her until the end, like directly. Yeah. There's not anything wrong with like encouraging someone else to run, even if his motivations were weren't like totally pure. But right. like it, more of his indiscretions are outside of the school until the end, what? until the election itself. Right, and so but here's the thing you mentioned earlier about like you know. Um, the monotony of like having to say the same thing over and over and over. And luckily I've never actually reached that point yet because, you know, I teaching different subjects, teaching different subjects. Right. And so, um, but you know, like within the year, like I'm like, you know, I I will say like, if I'm doing a presentation, I have to teach the same presentation to every single class period. Um, and, and sometimes it's funny as a rookie teacher, like you're sort of, like, uh, the more you do it, the better you are. So like my first period, don't get the, like, you know, the work in progress. And then by fifth period, you know, uh, it, it, it's far smoother. Right. However, the thing that I do kind of relate to him as to why like a Tracy flick would be annoying is the fact that he has this monot- monotonous speech that he is always giving. Right. And then like the Tracy flick is the one who's like putting a wrench through that. Because, like, now you have to, like, stop in the middle class and go off script to, like, you know. Well, I was going to ask you, like, for a certain type of person, like, would having a Tracy Flick be nice to, like, break up that monotony? And, like, if they're going to – as opposed to maybe asking a question that they already know the answer to, but if they were to actually ask, like, a a thoughtful question that, like, makes you think and say something different than you would already be saying, is there no appeal in that? Sometimes. But also, most of the time, like – no. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing, because like, all right, you're 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 teaching like 20 people in the same room, right? And this is the first time they're ever hearing, right? And so, um, and then also like speaking from experience, like last year I took I taught a subject that I wasn't necessarily 100% comfortable in, right? So like, anytime I, I like a kid would ask me a question and it forced me to have to go off script and like you know, uh, uh, it, it just took away time that I could be spending on the stuff that I did need that I did know that these students will need to know for their test coming up. Right. Um, and so like, you know, if we're talking about, you know, the Atlantic slave trade and now we're getting off topic about the Russian revolution for whatever reason, 
And it's just like you want to know. Right. You, you want to know an example of a question. This is very random because now it's been almost twenty years since this happened to me in school. But I think I did. I did kind of do that to a teacher once, and I I've never really ha- understood why. Maybe she might have been annoyed. But in like fifth grade. Our teacher, I don't know, remember, remember, remember what, I guess it was within whatever kind of social studies we learned in fifth grade. Our teacher told us that the guy who created, the, who invented the traffic light was black. And this is like 1920 or something like, or like or that. And, I was, and fifth, 10-year-old Josh asked the teacher, well, like, and I, I mean, who knows what I sounded like actually asking this question as a 10-year-old, but I was like, well, like, our country wasn't as nice to black people back in like the 1920s, so were they nicer to black people after they created the traffic light? <laughs> and, and she had no time for that question. And for the longest time, I thought that was like a really smart question. Like a black person did a, like a really impressive thing and we treated black people bad. Like why weren't they nice after that? And, and she was like so annoyed and mad that I got us off a of topic. And that was the question I had. though. <laughs> That's actually not to me. That question wouldn't annoy me. Right. Cause, yeah. I, I, cause I would have an answer to yes. say to that. <laughs> But yeah, but a lot of times you do get like kids that like will ask you questions and you don't really know the answer to and you and you know, you kinda have to pick and choose when to admit you don't know the answer to and <laughs> when or when to deflect or uh, like, you know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And you know right. and, and, and so that and also you have to keep in mind like um now Mr. McAllister, he has been teaching that subject for years, right? Um, however, like a lot of teachers, they're teaching a subject that they may not necessarily, it may not be their necessary, uh, their forte necessarily. And also you have to prep for, you know, a hundred and something days in a school year. And so some days like, you know, you're making your lesson plans like last minute. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the material can sometimes be new to you. And so that's why you don't necessarily want to be asked like a thousand questions that are not necessarily, you know, part of whatever plan you made. And mm-hmm. so like, I get that, you know? Um, but to be honest, like when I, when I was younger, I used to like think of election and I used to like, come about it, like saying like, you know, Tracy Flick ain't that bad. Like, and then when I was rewatching it a couple of months ago, you know, I still have a lot of sympathy for like Tracy Flick, right? She is this ambitious oh, sure. who actually like cares about making a difference at her school and, you know, and, and then suddenly, you know, be challenged by this popular kid who wouldn't know what to do with student government if he was given the chance for it. You know, it's funny. The movie is about 1992, but it also, you know, could be applied to 2016 and like Hillary and Donald Trump, you know? Well, you want to know, you want to know what my favorite, one of my favorite quick moments of the movie is, is after, uh, when Mr. McAllister is trying to get Paul to run and his first reaction is, well, Tracy Flick's running and she's so nice. And, (laughs) and like at that point we hadn't seen a lot of Tracy in the movie yet. And I thought like, and I don't remember, I didn't remember her. I mean, it had probably been, before the other day, it had probably been at least five years since I'd watched the movie, and my thought, my, my initial thought was like, going in was like, oh yeah, this is just a movie about a bunch of unlikable people that are all just terrible, and like, yeah, Tracy has a couple of bad moments in the movie, but like, I'd forgotten that like she's actually savvy enough to like 
be and maybe it's maybe there's a little there's goodness in her too but like she's savvy enough to like and smart enough to like know that she should be nice to everyone if she wants to achieve what she wants to achieve and that like she treats people pretty well for the most part and like that that this that moment that comment that paul made told you a lot about her without having to come from her in the form of like an over voiceover exposition dump but also told you a lot about paul that like that's where his mind went and i just thought it was like a cool moment that that was how he even reacted to mr McAllister wanting him to run where it's like oh wow tracy like actually like must treat people well if like even like this jock like thinks that highly of who someone who is kind of just a nerd overachiever person see you actually make a very interesting point because like the whole you know, the whole lead up to that moment, you've only seen Tracy from Mr. McAllister's point of view, right? Mm -hmm. And you've been given this backstory about her and, and you've given you've been given Mr. McAllister's commentary of her that's quite negative, right? Um, but the one thing that I what you kind of pointed out there is that both Tracy and Mr. McAllister have a public persona that they put on to mask their private persona, right? And, and to and whereas like uh, Paul Metzger, he he's he can't he, help but be himself. Yeah, he can't help but be himself, right? Same with Tammy, right? So like Tracy and Mr. McAllister, the the funny thing about them is that they're kind of like the same side of the. Uh, I mean, they're different sides of the same coin, you know. And so they're both putting on this public persona where like they're you know the public, if you looked at them, respected teacher. Uh, if you looked at Tracy Flick, you know, a, a, a high-achieving student, right? But I think it's sort of like they both see through each other, and that's where the conflict rises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm glad I had you kind of go all in on the teacher stuff because that, 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 that teaches – that taught me a lot about – gave me a lot of insight. But I'll say that my big takeaway from watching the movie again was like, you know, this is a movie about – probably one how just women get a raw deal overall yeah. in life and two how men are bad uh but more more so that like how women get a raw deal because it's more tracy's not just kind of having to work against the the men in her life but also probably the perception a lot of a woman in the class and that's why the election is such an uphill battle for someone that is really very qualified and seems to be coming from a somewhat good place even though a lot of it is more just her ambition and for selfish reasons like mean, she seems like she takes it seriously enough that she'd want to do a good job and my thought just being you see when paul jumps in and you know that he wouldn't really have an idea of what to do and he kind of knows that too but the fact that it's even like a competition at that point just says so much and it kind of goes back to what you said about like 2016 another thought too though was that uh, my a funny thought i had at first was that and while yes tammy tammy is a woman and she doesn't actually really care about winning the election she just wants to like kind of piss piss off these people that she feel of this guy that or piss off her brother who she thinks is kind of wronged him but at the same time you learn later that she's like i still hope he wins anyway because like i think she i, I don't know if she calls tracy the c word or the b word or one of them i can't remember which yeah. uh so like she obviously doesn't really have a lot of time for her either but tammy's speech struck me as very trumpy uh watching it this is my first time watching it since like 2015 and i was like wow like that's very i mean i know you said it's about 1992 but in a way it was a little ahead of its time too because it felt like very trump trumpy the way she was trying to like just trash the whole system at the same time and i was like man like this person that doesn't care and this guy that's super dumb can just make it hard on this woman that is super qualified who then also gets to, and then also gets taken advantage sexually by other people in her life and it's like wow like i mean I, and I don't think I thought about this movie the first time I saw it like that. And maybe it's because we've all become a little more enlightened with respect to these kind of issues and how women are treated since, I don't know, 2015. 
uh, when I around the time I think I watched this movie for the first time. But like, I just don't remember that being my takeaway the first time, and it was just like kind of glaring to me that watching it, it was like, wow, like. I mean, this is such a smart way to tell a story about how, like, women don't have it as good as men do, you know? It doesn't, like, in Tammy's speech, doesn't she, like, explicitly say, like, what do you guys have to lose? Like, like, which is, like, very reminiscent to, like, Trump's, like, you know, speech to, like, African-Americans, like, like, you know, vote for me. Like, well, what do you guys have to, like, like, so there's, there's a lot of parallels there, too, because she is the, and, you know, you could probably read, you know, it, she is modeled after Ross Perot, um, but you could read a Trump, you know, uh, uh, message there. You could read a Bernie Sanders one at this insurgent, um, independent, like, you know, just I'm going to upset the system and that the establishment does everything it can to, like, <laughs> uh, 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 prevent her from winning. Um, but one thing you mentioned, Mike, like, one hot take that I had rewatching this movie was that here's the thing the thing that like mr McAllister gets fired for isn't the thing that he should be fired for um or wouldn't be the thing that he would be fired for today um i forgot to, i'm already forgetting did they have i did the did the rest of the school find out oh yeah they did find out that he knew about his friend and tracy right see that's i can't remember i should i should remember this and now i'm forgetting that's the thing here's the thing so the, yeah. So, like, this is – I don't think the school knows. I don't think the, 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 the uh, like, you know, the uh, people in the town know that he knows, right? However – Well, didn't he kind of turn him in? That, that's the thing. That's the thing that I'm not sure about because when rewatching it, I was like – right. like, He's, like, in the office when they're talking about it. Right. So here, here's the thing, all right? So – Either like either he was complicit and he kind of didn't speak out about it for a long time and, and until like because I think it's implied that how uh, I think I think it's implied that he turns him in once he tells him that he's in love with her and he's like all right now you've taken it too far it was okay well, when it was just an affair well well uh, but even so like if the guy like is, is is you know having an affair with a, a student you definitely should turn turn him in. Um, right. However, here's the thing. I I think this is what I think happened. I think it's implied that like the mom, Tracy's mom, found out, found like their letters or something like that. And I think the reason why McAllister is in the office with him when he's getting fired is not necessarily because he's turning him in, which it could be that. It's not really clear in the movie. But the thing is, is when when a teacher gets in trouble, like disciplinary, right? Maybe not to the same extent as um, as his teacher, like for the same problem. What happens is you're supposed to have like a union representative or another teacher there in the office when it's a disciplinary action, right? Taken against you. A, in part, so you don't self-incriminate, right? So it could be that, you know, Mr. McAllister is just there for support of his friend, like as like union support, which if he's there for union support, he's doing a really bad job because <laughs> he's supposed to make sure that like his friend doesn't say anything. Right. right. And, and to not self-incriminate himself. Right. So, Teachers are just a bunch of cops looking out for each other. <laughs> not unlike, like, okay, here's the thing. I'm not disputing that it's probably the case at certain schools, X, Y, and Z, and that, 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 that doesn't, that, 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 you know, 
that does not happen or whatever. However, I, I think unlike cops, I think I think teachers genuinely dislike I think most teachers dislike uh, uh, bad teachers, right? In part because they make your job even harder because you're kind of cleaning up someone else's mess. But B, you know, I think most teachers do have a red line when it comes to, like, you know, sexual affairs with a student. Like, that's definitely just not acceptable. But, yeah. So if he did know about uh, 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 Tracy's affair with his friend and and did not— uh, come uh, uh, clean about it yeah. as as possible when finding out about it. Then that should be the thing that gets him fired. However, you don't think uh, you don't think meddling in the election is warrants firing? Here's a, here's my thing. It's unethical, um, which is funny because like the whole movie is like, what's the difference between ethics and morals? Ethics Moral- and morals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. However, it's not, not what would get him fired. Um, like first off. All right, so like with the backstory we know about Mr. McAllister is that he is like teacher of the year, like um, like yeah, like he's well liked amongst his students. Three t- three time teacher of the year, right? And it seems like he has a very close relationship with the principal, right? And so if it was the janitor who like was the one that like uh, caught him, right? A, if the janitor had caught him, told the principal. That principal would not would just try to cover it. It'd be like, oh, okay, like uh, like, hey, there's a lot of things to get around it, right? Uh, um, you don't know that he intentionally threw away the ballot, but that aside, that the principal would have never called Tracy's mom. The principal would have probably protected Mr. McAllister because of how well respected he was, how insignificant uh, um, the student election is. Um, and, and so, and, and like, you know, like it wasn't like Tracy was the one who was accusing him of anything. So that would not ha- like, it, it, like again, but, but it's a student that caught him really. Well, that's the thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's implied that, the, that, that supervisor of a lecture, that student supervisor of elections, like tracked the, the janitor down and the janitor right. was happy to give him the trash because they flashed back to when he, he like p- threw the food on the ground at the beginning and pissed off the janitor. Here's what, like how I interpret it was that the janitor, the janitor found the ballot, right. And the missing ballot, I think reported it to the principal. The principal did his own investigation. Now the fact that the principal would do his own investigation without even like consulting McAllister, like, you know, who, you know, he has a close relationship with and also, you know, you're going to take disciplinary action and, you know, I assume McAllister's part of the teacher union. I think that would not have happened. Hmm. Um, but also the, the main reason why I would say that the principal probably would have covered it up for McAllister um, is the fact that, all right, McAllister is such a well-respected teacher. It's hard to find new teachers. It is, you know, he didn't the, – the main thing with being a teacher – as long as you're not stealing money, as long as you're not hitting a student or engaging in an appropriate affair, it's very hard to like fire a teacher, right? Like it's probably like what Mr. McAllister did was probably insignificant compared to like, you know, a teacher at that school probably, you know, accidentally cussed out a student or something like that. But Tracy's mom is a paralegal at a big time law firm. See, okay, that's 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 the thing that 
Okay, so that's the thing that actually would probably, again, I'm saying before Tracy's mom got involved, and I feel like that was the principal um, who who got her involved, I'm just saying the principal would never have gotten her involved. It, he would have just, the minute that, like, the student and the janitor, you know, suspected Mr. McAllister of, uh, of uh, interfering in the election, would have, which another thing, interference in the election. <laughs> Very prescient. Well, yeah, I just think they would have just shut that thing down and at worst, you know, might have given him like, you know, temporary leave and, you know, by next year he would have come back. But the other main thing, too, I would have said is, all right, in Nebraska, there or even if he got fired from that school, there are so many teaching vacancies out there that like and there's so many like Title One schools, which are your like under. Uh, underprivileged schools and stuff like that, they would not have cared. He would have found a teaching job within Nebraska. I know that was a national story, but, like, there, there are people who, like, have done far worse that have, like, uh, uh, ended up with a teaching job uh, somewhere. At, he, went, he, went, he does a pretty good job of landing on his feet, though. Maybe, maybe he can work his way up at that museum. I don't know. But yeah, have yeah. his own his own a, sing, a single apartment in New York City after after that. I'd say he's doing all right. <laughs> um, my my take is like he could have found a teaching job in New York if 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 it if it was such the national big story as, as it was, he could have found a teaching job somewhere else. You know, so like that's the thing that just doesn't ring like. Uh, uh, and again, I'm not saying necessarily that he should find another teaching job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, like, no school principal would have, like, fired him for that unless, like, Tracy Flick's mom... I'm just saying that no te- no principal would have involved Tracy's mom in the first place, would have tried to, like, shut that investigation down before getting to her mom, um, given how little evidence there was of him actually... Like, how hard it would have been to prove that he intentionally... Uh, interfered with the election so that's where i'm at with it like but if you were gonna fire mr McAllister, it should have been for the fact that he knew about uh another teacher having an affair with a student like that is the more fireable offense yeah i got a few other mr McAllister thoughts but i want to move on and i'll talk about them when i talk about matthew broderick Uh, a line that tracy says at the end of the movie is if you're going to be great you have to be lonely and I'm wondering, what is your read on that line? I read it as being, like, pretty satirical and just how, you know, this character comes out of this probably not having learned the right lessons. Yeah, and I think that's (laughs) – which, by the way, I will say this. Being a teacher, sometimes, like, one of the things you've learned is that, like, the whole public education uh, system – sort of doesn't reward uh, um, learning the right lessons or whatever. So, for example, when, like, my first year teaching, um, I was a middle school teacher, and uh, I had very bad classroom management school. I didn't know what I was doing. I started late, and, you know, I had been a sub, and so I just did what worked for me as a sub. Uh, But that doesn't work if you're uh, teaching sixth grade. They need a lot of rules and discipline and stuff like that. Um... And so, like, it was just a nightmare. And so then, like, the following year, like, I just, you know, after having such a disastrous time teaching middle school, I sort of failed upwards and taught high school. Um, 
And, you know, I would have thought that the lesson would have been, all right, I got to be much, much, much more stricter. And I, you know, tried to, I laid down my expectations uh, starting when I started at my new school. However, I quickly like learned that like, huh, like I didn't need to be as strict as I thought I would be because the kids were pretty good and were able to handle themselves because, you know, they were much more mature. So long story short, like, it does, like, yeah, like, these people in this movie probably did not learn any of the lessons, but the whole, like, in order to be successful, uh, um, you have to be alone. I don't think that rings true, because I think the story of Paul Metzler is sort of the example of that. Uh, it's like the counter example of that, where Paul, you know, achieves success. Maybe it's not the same type of success that uh, Tracy wants, but he's a much happier person, and he's... Uh, so someone who's well-liked and beloved, you know what I mean? And whereas Tracy achieves the goals that she has set for herself, but she is not as happy. Like when you cut to uh, her in the dorm or even like her whole high school experience where she's not popular, um, even though she's probably a more successful student than uh, Paul Metzler. Or, or even that she's just like so single-mindedly focused on like achieving just achieving everything she possibly can and, and still doesn't seem to be slowing down to like actually appreciate the college experience i i don't remember if it says paul goes on to get any kind of specific job but it's just like he actually gets into a good call a decent college even though we're led to believe he's a dummy and makes friends and joins a fraternity and has a normal experience whereas like i think it's like implied that like she's going to get taken advantage of by a congressman in like the final shot of the movie basically which is just like uh, kind of like a vicious cycle repeating itself in a way which is uh, kind of sad. And again, and it mirrors also Mr. McAllister's things where like he loses his wife, uh, he loses like, you know, his job and then he has to go to New York and his narration is almost like, you know, it's like a, he's an unreliable narrator. He's telling you how great his life is, is in New York, even though he's living in a crappy apartment. He's probably had his job probably pays him very little. And, you know, he, unlike Tracy, he, he seems to take solace in the fact that um, he met a nice girl. However, like, he's clearly not a happy person because, like, at the first sight of Tracy, he's throwing yeah. Slurpee at her. You know what I mean? So um, I think they're two fundamentally broken people, which actually, do you know the alternative ending for this film? No. So the original ending that they had shot and they cut because test screen audience didn't like it was basically – um, instead of Mr. McAllister finding the museum job in New York, it's like a couple months later and he's a, uh, a, a used car salesman and Tracy comes to pick up a new car for like college or something like that. And they have a long ch chat and they sort of make amends, you know, and she has him sign her yearbook and just audience just did not believe that ending. They just thought for how acerbic the film was, it just did not ring true. And so that's why you get the ending that you get now. I, I think I'm happy with how it turned out, is what I'd say. Yeah. But yeah, the uh, we, I guess I, man, we didn't even really talk that much about the... Um, uh, just about Mr. McAllister's home life. Uh, I, 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 don't, I mean, I, it tells you a lot about, I guess... I don't, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think the movie gets out of having him go down that rabbit hole with his, and throwing, throwing away his marriage as a result of everything? Well, you know, I think like a lot of movies at this time, like this Clinton era in 90s where, you know, the economy is booming and we're at peacetime. A lot of them deal with these like anxieties of the middle aged white guy. Right. Like American Beauty. Also S someone's got someone's got to worry about them. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, does the same thing where, like, you know, I I think with the the oh, here's another thing you mentioned about like you started the episode about um uh like referencing Mr. McCall, uh, Mr. McAllister changing his lesson plan so he can get a booty call, right? Yeah. Here's my thing. First off, you cannot leave your class unattended. That's like that is a fireable offense. Uh, <laughs> now in a high school, you know, like you can kind of get away with it a little bit because like they're not gonna like the class on fire. However, he could have called in for a sub, <laughs> my guy. If that you you can call in for a sub for a half day, like <laughs> it seemed would have been far less riskier. But that aside, um, I think. I think with the uh, uh, with the affair thing, I think it's just sort of, I think it's sort sort of painting Mr. McAllister as a three dimensional character, where like it does, you know, allow you to like see Mr. McAllister as not just the teacher, but also this guy with a you know troubled personal life. You know what I mean? Like, and he who you know is not too dissimilar, I guess, from the students who. Like, you know, if you look at Tammy and Paul Metzler, they're sleeping around and they having their own like dramas and teachers have their own personal life drama as well. Let and me so- ask, I was reading Roger Ebert's review and he, he said he thought that, uh, and m- maybe this is me just being a bit of a prude, but I didn't see it this way. Roger Ebert said he thought that uh, McAllister was also lusting after Tracy. Oh, and- 100%. One hundred percent. That is the the subtext of it. Because there's even the sex scene where like he's having sex with his wife and like. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's different images of like you know of the person he uh, uh, of his friend's uh, uh, wife uh, pops up and then Tracy's head pops up as well. Like that is, a, and I think that's one hundred percent the reason why. He doesn't want the real reason why he doesn't want Tracy Flick to be student body president is because he's afraid that he will fall into the same trap as his best friend. You have to be around her more. Exactly. See, I, and I guess that I guess that is part of it. And I forgot I had forgotten about the little montage of the different heads when he's uh, having sex or whatever. But I it speaks to his own like internal misogyny, where like um, he blames Tracy. For the the his his right. best friend's own fall when Tracy's the victim, you know he's just a teenage girl who you know was taken advantage of by this middle aged you know pathetic guy. Yeah, and that, um, and and that's the uh, and I guess that's the the part I didn't get into too much yet about it. And I think that that's the internal misogyny itself almost struck me more than any kind of lust. And it just seemed like he's so resentful of someone that it just seemed like an, more of the. More in keeping with the overall message of the movie of just being how hard hard things are for women, where uh, this guy would probably not be that resentful of a male character, even without the whole Tracy having an affair with his uh, with his uh, with his friend. Like he just something bothers, clearly irks him about this ambitious woman that is going to go on to achieve greater things than he has, and he seems like really put off by that. And but there's probably a lot of other stuff going on underneath the surface, as you intimated. And uh, yeah, and you know, I was actually going to ask you because uh, my I think my answer after this watch to this question would be Matthew Broderick. But I was going to ask you: uh, this movie only had one Oscar nomination for screenplay. If you could give it one more, what would it be? Well, first off, I think this is like a career-defining performance by Reese Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you, you, like that, because like that is a very difficult performance when you really think about it where she has to 
because again, she she's putting on two fronts, right? She is that overambitious girl, but she's also playing it as a politician, and 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 she and I think she humanizes Tracy uh, um, as well. Like, and she's not just a rogue caricature. So I I do think like Reese. I mean, this was her breakout performance. I think rightfully, I think she probably deserves a nomination. We still use Tracy Flick as a catch-all for all sorts of, like, female politicians today. You know what I mean? And so, um, you know, I, I think it's an iconic character because of her performance. But not to take away from Matthew Broderick, where I think it's actually pretty clever casting where, all right, you're taking Ferris Bueller, and then now you're seeing him 20 years later, and and now he's a he's he's the boring teacher. Well, that's the thing is, it's not even 20 years later, which is wild. Like, it is 13 years after he played Ferris Bueller. It was when he filmed this movie. And it's like Ferris Bueller is maybe the coolest, one of the coolest movie characters of the last thirty years, uh, or thirty-five years, and uh, and at that point it was only it was only thirty only thirteen years removed from it, and he hadn't been in a ton of stuff super notable since then besides like what Cable Guy and voicing Simba and I don't know, but that's what everyone knew him as as someone that cool, and for him to like so convincingly play like this pathetic schlub, it was really something, and I guess I was just really struck by it and just. That character was far more sinister than I remembered on my previous watch. And at the same time, like, there is probably some of those things you can find a little sympathy for, like we talked about earlier. And it's like there's a lot going on with him. And I just, like, was super impressive to me. Yeah, and, like, the thing with, like, you know, which is, again, I think it's, like, a very, you know, I think probably at the time it was seen as stunt casting just – uh, you're casting Ferris Bueller as a teacher, but it's like a very clever commentary, like say, hey, this is where Ferris Bueller ends up in like 13 years. You know what I mean? Like, um, and as a teacher now, like who's doing it like in my early 20s, like, I, you know, like when I was in high school, I didn't have any intention of ever becoming a teacher. Like, um, um, but now like as like the, you know, someone in their early 20s and just like, all right, now I'm having to deal with kids who, like, you know, like, think I'm uncool. You know what I mean? And so, like, it, it, it's one of, like, that's how it, life happens, you know, where... Uh, you you, you want to know what a thought I had was while watching that character? Was, uh, I think I think this is before his marriage is over, but he, he wants to go down to uh, watch some uh, pornography from his collection, and he's doing that while drinking, like, a Pepsi. And I thought it was like almost more pathetic that he was like drinking the Pepsi than than that he was watching porn. It's like well, here, one thing I would real one thing I realize uh, like becoming a teacher is, uh, and I'm always kind of scared of this happening to me uh, as a pop culturally aware dude. Um, is that like teachers are like the most basic people in in, in the world? Like, no offense, like <laughs> like because I, I I'm not sure if you remember this, but like when you were in school you had at least one teacher that would drink like a diet Coke, right? I'm sure I did. I, I, I honestly can't specifically remember, but like, I mean, I, 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 I see nothing basic or wrong or anything about drinking a diet Coke in class. I was more talking about drinking a Pepsi at like 12 o'clock at night, because if I drink soda that late, like I, I'm not going to be able to get to sleep. And it just shows how little you care about like your life. If you're like drinking caffeine, like that late at night, cause you don't give a shit about how you're going to feel in the morning. See, that's the other thing I didn't take into account because I'm like, Mr. McAllister, you're seeing – the opening of the film is him, you know, like he showers at the school. He like wakes up early in the morning. He has to wake up early. Like um, uh, like as, as a teacher, I have to now go like, – because I teach high school. I, 
have to go to bed really early. <laughs> so what he's doing is very risky. And also, one thing I learned is not having a good enough amount of sleep can really like impact your students. Like it really makes you far more grumpier than you ought to be when you're teaching. So well, when I um, made that comment before, I actually I forgot until you just brought it up about him like being so together with it that he's like working out and showering all before school starts. Uh, and just the point at which he's like jerking off and drinking Pepsi at like one o'clock in the morning shows just like where that character has fallen to already at that point in the movie. And I just, I find the Pepsi like a more depressing sign of things than him watching porn late at night. (laughs) And and by the way, the other thing that kind of speaks to the underlining, like, uh, uh, um, you know, sexual, uh, uh, frustration he may have with like Tracy isn't the porn video, like, uh, like, uh, a gym coach uh, 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 having sex with a cheerleader? I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it has that creepy undertone context. Like, so yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, Mr. McAllister uh, 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 has a lot of problems. Um, but but one thing, though, I do relate to him a little bit with, I, I, I've had, like, really bad days where, like, you just want to be alone at a restaurant and eat your apple pie. Um, and I've also know the uncomfortable encounter when like a parent just like a, you see a student in the public and, and like a parent wants to talk to you and that's the last thing you want to do. Um, like when I see Mr. McAllister eating his pie at the restaurant, I'm like, you know, I, I relate my guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, by the way, uh, you know who should have been nominated for an acting award? The B. Ah. <laughs> I think that thing was on point. Uh, I think this was a pinnacle for B's up until B movie. <laughs> I, I, the first time I watched it, I was actually probably like, I don't know, for some reason, Chris Klein stuck with me a lot the first time I watched it. Um, and I do like him, but like it, it, there's not, it's definitely not as much going on there as there is with Tracy and Jim as characters. But I, I still like, I, I wasn't that familiar with his work. I've, I haven't watched American Pie in a long time, so I don't know him from a lot of other things, but I, I remember still appreciating that in that moment. Um, and I think at the time, because I think this came out the same year as American Pie, I think like everybody thought he would have the bright future. But didn't it come out like two months after Cruel Intentions also? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, like um, – yeah, yeah. I mean, so this like, is more – this is like even more of a Reese vehicle than that one, but like it was a big, big year for yeah. both of them I guess. Yeah, yeah, like they were going to be like the, and I think it's a testament to Reese, just like how long she has endured as an actress, especially how she's still, you know, to go from Tracy Flick to Legally Blonde, that is range. Yeah, definitely. That's a, a way more range than what her character in Cruel Intentions is uh, to Tracy Flick, which are actually not that far from each other compared to uh, Elle Woods, uh, which is a whole a whole other thing and a uh, wholly different kind of personality. Very impressive and did both of those over the course of a few years. Do you have any other Do you have any other final parting thoughts on this or anything else I forgot to touch on? Well, we didn't really talk too much about Tammy and I just, I, a, like I love... See, I don't know enough about Ross Perot. I don't know my election history to really speak knowledgeably about that. So if you have more thoughts on how she's representative of that or just more about her as a character. I, I guess I did think it was interesting that like the same sex love stories, not that it's a really a full story she gets, but even uh, having a plot line involving a lesbian character at that point in time. Uh, this is such a conservative period. Yeah. LGBTQ. Cause you, this is a, this is like two years, three years after, you know, the dem the sitting democratic president signs in the defense of marriage act, you know? And so the movie is going and it's, and it's, Funny, the movie's pretty respectful 
you know, towards it. Like I like yeah. it does it could be it could ring a lot cringy today if it wasn't handled right. But you're never not on like Tammy's side that like, you know, you're kinda like screw these like uh very uptight people around her, like, you know, not letting her have this relationship, right? Well, I mean it's not the other people, it's the girl that doesn't actually like her that much, just kind of leaving her. But well, I mean, I'm, you still understand what she's going through. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of just thinking like her parents sending her to like. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Though I don't think they're doing it because they know she's gay. But but we know that like it's not going to fly in their community. Um, and so I, I thought like you know it was very respectful of that. And also the other thing too, one shrewd thing, cause I have the criterion of election and it has like a lot of making of featurettes. And one of the smart things that Alexander Payne did was he shot in a real life high school and cast, uh, the student, like he cast people at that school. So like the kid who's the supervisor of elections is really this, a student that went to that school, like almost all the main characters. I think Chris Klein was someone they found in the area um so like most of the students at that school are real life students and it adds an authenticity to it where like a lot of high school movies is like 25 year olds like playing you know 17 year olds are you sure about the supervisor elections that's nick d'agusto like he's done other stuff that'd be weird if he's yeah. in nebraska I, I believe like his career started with this oh yeah film. he's from omaha yeah interesting he like yeah. went on to do like legit stuff you know i mean He's in, he's in rocket science, and he was in uh, Masters of Sex and the um, that legal show on NBC that I gave up on after a season and a half, Trial and Error. So that's that's cool. I, I mean, I, I recognized him right away in that. I was like, oh, wow. I, but I didn't know he was actually from Omaha. That's cool. Yeah, no, like uh, I, I thought like, you know, Alexander Payne has an eye for faces. And, you know, when – and also here's the thing. I don't know where you stand on Alexander Payne's career. Like, A, I think this is the best thing he's done. And I like Alexander Payne. I don't think I dislike any movie he's done except for Downsizing. And I kind of wish I was part of the cult that, like, defended Downsizing. So um, I, I haven't seen about Schmidt or Citizen Ruth. I've seen all the others. But I I, I was very disappointed by Downsizing. I, I, there's a version of that movie I really like. But I, after watching this this viewing of Election, like, I think it's. I, I would agree with you about it being his best. I really love The Descendants, and I quite enjoyed Sideways in Nebraska. But I'd say Elections easily number one for me now. Yeah, and I just, and I, like you know, as a filmmaker, um, they were talking about like in the Criterion about like when this came, like you know, Citizen Roof. Well, you know, that's his first film, and it was critically praised, but it was a flop, and so was this movie. But at least it got like an Oscar nomination, and they were talking about like. You know, there wasn't really like a filmmaker like Alexander Payne up until this point. Like the closest they could compare him to was like Jonathan Demme, and the, the, it, which is crazy because I think like you know Jonathan Demme is a very humanistic filmmaker, very warm-hearted, whereas um, with uh, Alexander Alexander Payne, he's a very acerbic, cynical guy. But I do think that like the thing that he may not get enough credit for because some people find him too cynical is the fact that I think everybody in this film is treated respectfully. Like I think all the characters have a depth to them um, from McAllister to Paul to Tammy to Tracy that like, okay, you, you understand where they're coming yeah, from. There's, there's no one. It feels like as cynical as he is, there's no one. It feels like he has like a great deal of contempt for necessarily. 
yeah i'd agree any other final thoughts um yeah i'm pretty good uh uh it's a movie that i think if you haven't seen it uh it holds up pretty well i think it's the best movie about high school and also if you're in campaign political mode like i am it's a very timely film that still speaks to where we're at at this political moment yeah, I, I second all that. I don't have a lot to add. I think, it, I mean, I, I just kind of wanted to talk about a teacher movie with you, and I honestly wasn't even thinking about the election, but I think uh, if someone who has two 2016 fresh in their mind would get a lot out of watching this, and uh, not a bad time to watch it either with uh, 2020's election coming up as well. All right, well, that's election, and uh, while we have been doing streaming recommendations, and I can let Josh do another, I uh, uh, do a recent one if he has one he's talking about. I thought I had earlier in the podcast when he said he declared election the number one movie of 1999, which, as Josh accurately noted, is maybe the best movie year of the last three decades. Uh, I, I'm, or I guess four decades if you want to work. Or no, I guess three. Uh, we're only at the start of the fourth one I've been alive for. Uh, hey, this might be the decade that ends movies. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the 2020s could just end up being a weaker movie decade just by nature of what's going on right now with the coronavirus. Uh, but it got me thinking when Josh said that's the best movie in 1999, which has a ton of great movies. I was like, would that make my top five? Because, I mean, I really liked it on this watch, but there's, like, a ton there. So I was thinking, like, Josh, if you could, like, if if you were able to just, like, look at all these great movies that came out in the 1999, if I could, like, tell you to, like, pick five, if you had to pick a top five and, like, what you're going to the grave with, if you can only watch five of these movies, would you be capable of even doing that? Because I started trying to do it, and it's, like, really hard. Yeah, like, to just say, like, five movies, it's really hard. Um... Because, like, look, this is, like, what I have in my top 20. Uh, Election, Magnolia, which, you know, on a different day, I might say is the best movie in 1999. Three Kings, mm-hmm. Fight Club, The Sixth Sense, Pedro Almodovar, It's All About My Mother, Toy Story 2, The Matrix, The Insider, and I think I'm, like, missing a couple more here. Like, you know, you also have Office Space. You also have... Um, uh, American Pie, Blair Witch Project, just a lot of, you know, influential Boys Don't Cry, important movies. And here's one, like, I have not seen in a long time. I used to watch it a lot as as well with Election, but, you know, let's just say that uh, its reputation has soured. But I was a huge American Beauty fan. I, I haven't rewatched it since the Spacey allocation. That's understandable. <laughs> so I'm going to put a little caveat there. But, but yeah. Like, Wait, American Beauty was Best Picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the Best Picture winner. Mm-hmm. Oh, and up, up against Green Mile. Another one that probably has an age 100% well. But, but yeah, like, it, it's, a, it's a good it's a good movie year. Probably, what, you know, being John Malkovich is also up there. I like, never, I've never seen that, actually. Yeah. It, it, you know, because this is the year where, also, like, Virgin Suicides, like, this mm-hmm. is a year where, like, you know, like, your, your Gen X filmmakers are coming up and and they now have a definitive statement of what the 1990s were, you know, like, you know, like the Matrix, you know, encapsulates that Y2K moment in time that we were in. And yeah, I think this is where everybody sort of had very exciting filmmakers, had very, you know, uh, distinct takes of what the decade was. 
You know, I actually watched The Matrix for the first time earlier in quarantine. I'd seen The Matrix Reloaded in theaters because for some reason my dad took me to it, even though it's really not his kind of movie. And it was like either the first or second rated R movie I'd ever seen in a theater. And I hadn't seen the original Matrix. So can you imagine how confusing that is for like an 11-year-old? Not Uh, only is that movie confusing as a sequel on its own, but like (laughs) if you have never seen it. No, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. So – yeah, I, and I really like The Matrix, but at the same time, like movies like that can just like really kind of very different things. But I just did a podcast on uh, Christopher Nolan with uh, my friend Nick last week, and we talked about Falling and Memento and movies like that that are mind bending. Like, I just don't know if they're really like my thing as far as something I enjoy thinking about that much after the fact, even if I can kind of enjoy the journey. So it's harder for me to like want to revisit The Matrix and movies of that ilk. If you, I think if you made me put a top five out of out of all of these, and I you mentioned a few of the ones I would do. Because I, I would actually put Election, Magnolia, and The Insider all there. Yeah. I think my other two would be Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, that's a good one. And Notting Hill. See, again, and I, I like Notting Hill as well. Like, I forgot about that. I forgot about Iron Giant. Like, you know, like it, it's such an impressive year. And I think also a lot of these movies are very, like, what I, when I think of 1999, the word that comes to mind is postmodern, where... Like, they're very, like, you know, adult-oriented films that are subversive in in a case of, like, some of them, like, uh, being John Malkovich, like, meta. And, and, you know, this is also the post-Tarantino Pulp Fiction era where independent filmmakers are given a lot more freedom than they probably would be given today just, you know, on a a studio budget, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a really – it's a really good – year for movies and and they all have like you know they they all presented an interesting time capsule of where we were in 1999 which looks a lot better than where we are at 2020 oh yeah i mean and just like the diversity of the kind of movies and i mean i feel like sometimes it's overstated a little bit just how much movies are dying maybe not at the current moment because who who the hell knows but like i I always find plenty the last five years since i've been doing the movie podcasting like i always find like plenty to like at the end of the year but it just feels like such a deeper year compared to like i mean anything we've had in recent years and uh I mean, it's it's it would be nice to kind of get back to that point where you can like have this diversity of movies that are given pretty big budgets and are allowed to kind of go out and do their own thing. Uh, and, and a lot of them were successful. Like you know, The Sixth Sense was a huge you know success. Uh, American Beauty, the movie that won Best Picture, a movie that is just an adult melodrama, made over a hundred million dollars domestically. Like <laughs> it's it's wild. Like you know, to be fair. Election was not a commercial success. Um, neither was Magnolia. Neither was Fight Club. But it, it, again, it, it was that was a movie that like found its life on DVD. Um, but it, it, it's just it, it is like the fact that these these directors were given the budgets that they were and the wide releases is what would not happen today. Right. Yeah, well, I'm not going to make you pick a top five if you don't want to, because I know that's really hard and probably like picking favorites. Oh, I thought I did. I thought I you, said... you, ra- you rattled off a bunch. Oh, was that in order when you were doing that? Yeah, my five oh. is Election, Magnolia, Three Kings, Fight Club, and then I did have American Beauty, but I'm going to put a little caveat on that. <laughs> if you, if you want to sub another one in, I'll allow it. Um, All About My Mother. There you oh, go. Which I have not seen, and I've been meaning to try and like get in more to Almodovar, because I... I Honestly, I don't think I'd seen any of his before I saw um, 
uh, Pain and Glory last year. So I feel like I need to, like, that's one thing I need to do while I'm trying to, like, go revisit different things in quarantine is, like, become a little more familiar with him because he's obviously a pretty important filmmaker. And that's probably the one big one I'm missing from 99 as far as, like, stuff that, like, you would have rated pretty highly yourself. So I want to give a shout-out and honorable mention to Big Daddy, which I still maintain is good. I mean, I went through, like, a 10-year period where I watched very little Adam Sandler, but I'll still, like, cape for that one, so... See, actually, like, like five-year-old me probably agrees with you because, like, that one my sister and I rented from, like, Blockbuster, and we liked it. <laughs> and I mean, so. it might just be me, like, still fondly remembering how me as, like, a nine-year-old got such a kick out of the five-year-old kid in that movie yelling at the court proceeding about how he could wipe his own ass. And <laughs> who knows? Maybe me as a lawyer wouldn't, like, be as uh, uh, tickled by that actual scene in a courtroom, and maybe I'd criticize it. But, like, I just have too fond of memories for it. I'll still, I'll still like, go to bat for it, unlike, uh, unlike other Adam Sandler projects. So, uh I just wanted to, I wanted to like at least put that out there. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad we could just quickly revisit that because I just had that thought when you said uh, you had it as your number one in 1999. Because like honestly, I probably wouldn't have a week ago, but like the election just hit me really. Uh, it just hit me really well on on this viewing, and I'm uh, glad you made the recommendation to watch it. Uh, do you have any other recent recommendations you want to make for something you've watched in quarantine? See, here's the thing: like these past couple weeks, I've had like kind of i've been like prepping and had campaign fever so i've been watching a lot of non-movies but the last great well, movie, but we, we let people talk about tv here so if you'd rather like um recommend a tv thing you've watched then you can do that instead well what i was about to say is like what i've been watching is like election night coverage through various years so um but the last great movie i did watch was uh fun with dick and jane not the jim carrey taylor leone version from 05 but the 1977 one starring George Siegel and Jane Fonda that's on the Criterion channel now. Hmm. Uh, one thing I've realized this year is I have a soft spot for a lot of the 70s, like, very broad studio comedies from that era. Not necessarily, like, the classics that you would think, like Blazing Saddles or something like that. A little bit more high concept, but, like, what would have been their Jennifer Aniston movies of their era? Um but Fun with Dick and Jane is a very subversive, uh, uh, timely film about uh, – it has a lot in common with, like, the 90s movies we mentioned where it's about a yuppie couple um, where the husband loses his job and they turn to robbing uh, banks to make an income. And it pretty much tackles, like, uh, sexism, racism, transphobia – uh, white entitlement, it, it, wow. uh, privilege, like it, it, it's it's a very funny comedy. I think you may not like it given our conversation about Lost in America because there's a lot of cringe in there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I only have so much tolerance for that, but uh, I think it's a good recommendation. I, I I think I knew, but I'd forgotten that it was kind of like a there's an earlier version of that movie aside from the Jim Carrey one. Yeah, uh, there's actually a great like condom gag that I, I, cause like Apatel produced a 2005 version. I can't imagine he left that one out. Um, cause it, it was, it was pretty funny. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I guess the, the recommendation I'll make is uh, I've watched a good amount of, a decent amount of Billy Wilder movies recently. Uh, they're pretty available at the moment. Uh, I watched both sunset Boulevard and witness for the prosecution. They're both on Amazon prime. I highly recommend both. Uh, Sunset, they, they, I mean, it's, it won't th- I just feel like a lot of his movies don't feel as dated as a lot of other movies from those times. And Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, well, 
you know Billy Wilder is like one of my favorite, like, like one of my guys. I mean, um, I didn't know he was one of your guys, but like you have a lot of guys, so it's good. Yeah, but like he's he's in that top five guys. Okay, so. okay, gotcha. Um, so like, I've, I said just since quarantine started, I've watched some like it hot, Stalag Seventeen, Sunset Boulevard, and Witness for the Prosecution. So like I've and he had an incredible run, I guess, in the from the fifties. And in range, and like my thing with. I'm glad that what you said about like Billy Wilder and like how like his stuff still holds up because the thing with Billy Wilder, why like I think out of all the classic film, why he's my favorite classic film director. I would put him over Alfred Hitchcock, John Ford, Howard Hawks, Capra. Um, the reason why is because he was such a great like social satirist. Like you know, like the movies in 1999, like especially like election and and like I think American beauty, I always think like Billy Wilder must have loved those because he was alive at that time to see them because like he's always tapping into like the sexual taboos, the, the social transgressions of his era. And he's getting away with a lot of stuff that even today you're kind of like, how the hell did he get away with that? Like some like a hot. Yeah. Like, that, I, 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 I don't, I was very, I was like, I don't know if that movie gets made today when I was watching it. I mean, I was like, this a lot of this is charming, but at the same time, I'm like finding myself thinking about whether or not like 50% of it could even be like put on screen today. Yeah, no. And and, again, also the other thing is like Alexander, and then you have to imagine like Alexander Payne must be influenced by Billy Wilder and like, and like them, like they, they are very bitter, cynical filmmakers, but, uh, and very witty, but also have a lot of depth to their uh, uh, characters. Like, Some Like It Hot is about two men cross-dressing, and it's handled with much more depth and care for a movie in the 50s than stuff that tackles the same subject would today. Like, it's very... The ending is very progressive for sure. And so, you know, like, I, I think that's why Billy Wilder and his films, like, endure, and they're not, like, broccoli. Like, yeah. I would tell people this if I wanted you to get into classic films. Yeah, I mean, and it's pretty sad that Sunset Boulevard, like, feels as relevant as it does, because just, like, based on how we kind of, like, dispose of uh, most female actors by the time they turn 50. I mean, for every Kate Blanchett, there's, like, 10 others that, like, don't get a role that, like, had stuff going on in their 20s and 30s. And I think Sunset Boulevard captures some of that and how sad that is, while also having a lot to say about people that are trying to make it in Hollywood and are attracted to, like really nice things and uh will kind of do away with a lot of their principles and if they do if they do come into that kind of thing and i thought uh william holden's like he's great in that he's great in stalag 17 that dude's just he's really good in network yeah yeah which is i mean that's right up there i mean my favorites of all time and uh and as far as witness for the prosecution i mean if you're if you're if you happen to be a lawyer listening to this and you can be pretty picky about just uh, how movies depict lawyers and legal proceedings and stuff. I think it passes muster, and it's an incredible performance by Charles Lockton as a lawyer trying to get a trying to defend a, a man that's on trial for murder. And there's a, um, I mean, there's a lot of twists, and I don't really want to give much away, but I, I'll just say if you want to, if you if you're in the mood for a legal thriller and you're worried that one that's set in the '50s in London's gonna be kind of inaccessible, then uh, don't make that assumption. It's definitely worth checking out. Uh, and yeah. Uh, anything else you want to plug, Josh? Nah, but one thing I do want to say is like to bring it back to 1999. Yes. Sunset Boulevard um, was a huge influence on American Beauty. Like the idea of like an, uh, a narrator talking from the dead was came from Sunset Boulevard. Ah, interesting. I did not know that. 
but yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of the stuff about Sunset Boulevard was just wild uh, about like the 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 guy that plays her first husband, who's like her housekeeper, is actually like a silent film director who had been directed her that actress in real life too. Like, I didn't even know some of that stuff as I was watching it. Like, oh, by the way, speaking of Sunset Boulevard, not to you know get off topic, but like one of something maybe this will blow your mind, but when Billy Wilder went to the Reagan White House and. Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan were talking to him about how much they love Sunset Boulevard. They asked him, what's up with that chimp? And Billy Wilder was saying, Billy Wilder said, oh, she's fucking the chimp. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to say to that. Um, that's wild, though. That's, for people that haven't watched Sunset Boulevard, that'll give you a, a new thing to think about, as you did, because I did not know that as I was watching it. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess kind of yeah um but yeah so that about wraps this up i uh, hope everyone uh recommends election to someone else while it's still very accessible it's on amazon prime so uh check it out thanks for listening thanks again to josh for joining uh coming up next week i'm going to be joined by recurring guests uh fred and elijah to talk about a couple other bond movies we're going to talk we're going to continue our bond series that we've been doing with fred and different guests and we're going to talk about uh on her majesty's secret service and license to kill because you know they are kind of apparently stand apart tonally from other bond movies i haven't watched them yet but elijah and fred have and they thought they'd be a good pairing so we're going to talk about that and george lazenby and so if you want and, and if you want to watch so if you want to watch those in advance of that you can go ahead and do that so thanks for listening we'll see you next week